in the famous uh, cartoon called Peanuts, a guy called Linus, he says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. And I think that captures how so many people live today. They say things like, what's true for me may not be true for you, but in the end, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. There's a a website called Beliefnet. It claims to be the leading lifestyle site dedicated to faith and inspiration. And on this website is an interview uh, from the film star Dennis Quaid. And then he describes himself as a Christian. But then he says this, What I find is that we are all human beings and that it's all very similar what we believe. At the bottom, there really is not that much difference between Christians and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. We all worship God. So he says. And then he mentions how he visited India with a Baptist minister where he was rebaptized, but he was rebaptized in the river Ganges, the Hindu holy river. It's a kind of pick and mix religion that's kind of really popular these days. In fact, on this website, there is a, a page to help you find a religion that fits what you believe. It says, even if you don't know what faith you are, Beliefomatic does. Answer 20 questions about your concept of God, the afterlife, human nature and more and Beliefomatic will tell you what religion or spiritual path, if any, best suits your beliefs. So you don't need to conform to some, uh, 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 the faith of a, of, a, of a belief system, of a religion, but instead you can pick a religion that fits you. Now it does include one little warning. It says Beliefomatic assumes no legal liability for the ultimate fate of your soul which you kind of understand what they're going for there. So does it matter what we believe? Are Linus and Mr. Quaid and this website and millions of others right? Should we all just go on this belief-o-matic website and just find a religion that suits us? Well, in this middle section of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says a resounding no. Absolutely not. Because what we believe does matter. Not just for now, but for all eternity. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 down to verse 34. If you have a Bible, please do open it up and have a look as Tony's going to come up and he's going to read it to us this morning. Thanks, Tony. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, as so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life 
we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some of you who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Thanks, Tony. I wonder if you've ever wondered, what would my life be like if I'd been born in a different country? Or if I'd made different choices? Or if I had a different career path? Or if I had married a different person? Well, in this section, Paul kind of does this with with the resurrection. He asks, what would it be like if there was no resurrection? And that's because that's what some people in this church in Corinth were actually saying. They were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead in verse 12. And of course there are many people today who claim the same thing. They think that life after death is just impossible. And so Paul asks this question. What difference would it make if there was no resurrection? Well the crux of his argument is in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If you reject the whole idea of the possibility of people being raised again physically from the grave, then Jesus is still dead. His body is still in the grave. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's because a dead saviour can save nobody. So look at verse 14. If there is no resurrection, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. That word useless means empty. It's empty of truth. It's empty of purpose. Later he said, verse 17, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. 
That word futile means without results, without use. Our faith would have no effect because Jesus' death would have accomplished nothing. That's because the resurrection of Jesus is like God's validation of the redemption that was paid by Christ on the cross. As someone has said that this way, the resurrection is God's Amen to Christ's It is finished. When Christ declared on the cross, it is finished, it is paid in full, the resurrection is like God saying, Amen. Yes, that is true. So if the resurrection is crucial to our salvation, then without the empty tomb, there's no forgiveness. If Jesus is still in his tomb, then we are still in our sins. And that would mean, verse 18, then there's no hope. If there's no resurrection, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If death really did defeat Jesus, then death wins every time. Death is final. And all those who have died trusting in Jesus, well, they're all lost forever. And today we are just like the rest of this world who don't know Jesus, who are without hope and without God in the world. So if there is no resurrection, then there's no point in believing in Jesus. Look at verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul didn't say here that if there's no, hope, no resurrection, if we have only hope for this life, then, well, we maybe got it wrong, but we should be admired for our sincerity. We've been really committed, so that, that counts for something. No. Neither does he say, well, it was good while it lasted. No, he's to be pitied. It's a disaster. Believing in a dead saviour and a non-existent salvation and a false hope is a complete waste of a life. Christianity cannot be a nice, comforting myth that helps and encourages us. Paul said also, that there would be no hope in those who were baptised for the dead. In verse 29, now we need to pause here and ask that question, what does that mean? And the the real answer is, nobody's really sure. There are numerous interpretations of that one verse. Uh, Somebody's counted up maybe 30 or 40 different ideas about what Paul is actually saying in that verse. We're not going to go through them all today, just in case you're wondering. But some people think that this simply means that new converts were being baptised in the place of for those who had died when they were believing in Christ and then these people were then taking their place in that church community. But Paul said, well that's pointless if those who have died believing in Jesus are just dead and that's it. Because baptism is supposed to be a picture of death and burial and resurrection into our new eternal life. 
But that would be a false picture if there's no resurrection. Other people think that Paul was saying, talking about people who were being baptised on behalf of people who had died who hadn't actually been baptised or maybe even haven't trusted in Jesus. A kind of a proxy baptism that people were getting baptised in the hope that that would have some kind of effect on those who had died. Maybe in fact those who had denied the resurrection were the very same people who were teaching this false practice. If that is the case, then it's important to notice that although Paul doesn't directly condemn those people for doing this, he doesn't, he doesn't agree with them. He, he, he separates himself from them. See, when he says, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? He doesn't include himself in this. So in mentioning it here, Paul's maybe just showing the inconsistency of this group's own teaching. They're teaching about being baptised for the dead, and they're also teaching there's no resurrection. And he's saying to them, well, there's no point in you guys being baptised for the dead if there's no resurrection. And everyone who's dead is going to just stay dead. So whatever that means, this group was doing something that Paul said is just pointless if there's no resurrection. But Paul also said that what he was doing was also pointless if there was no resurrection. Look at verse 15. If there's no resurrection, then we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that Christ, that that he raised Christ from the dead. And if there's no resurrection, then all those, all that Paul had suffered to share this gospel just didn't make any sense. Verse 30, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Paul, he lived an incredibly tough life. He endured so much suffering as an apostle sent to preach the gospel to people who often didn't want to hear it. In his second letter, he catalogues some of that suffering. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. He gave up everything to tell people about Jesus. But if that was a lie, then what a waste. If there was no resurrection, then he and all of us who suffer and sacrifice and struggle to, to live for Christ, all of that is pointless. No wonder he said, if there was no resurrection, he should be pitied among all men. So Paul says that if there's no resurrection, we might just as well give up and just do what we want. Just go with the flow. Just give in to our own desires. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If death indeed is the end, then what we do in our life does not matter. We might as well just have some fun. Why care about somebody else? Why deny ourselves what we want? Life should be about getting as much as we can and enjoying it for as long as we can. And of course, many people just live exactly like that today. 
if this life is all there is, then Paul says there's no point in living for God at all. So it is a disturbing concept, isn't it? If there is no resurrection, there's no saviour, there's no salvation, there's no hope, and there's no point in believing in, or preaching about, or living for God. But isn't it great that that's not the end of the sermon this morning? Because we don't just have this disturbing concept to think about. We have a wonderful certainty to stand on this morning. Look at verse 20. What an amazing verse this is. That changes everything. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We can be sure of his resurrection. Because we can be sure that Jesus is alive. That's because as we thought about last week, remember about the word of God, how that proves that as Jesus, that Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection was the fulfillment of centuries old prophecies right throughout the Old Testament. And then also we saw how the eyewitnesses, they testified to the truth of Jesus' resurrection at great personal cost. We're seeing that in the early part of chapter 15. So today, we can be sure that our Redeemer lives. And He lives forever. This is what Jesus said to John in Revelation chapter 1. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. We can be sure that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, then we who have trusted in Him will live with Him. Look at verse 21. Death, death came through a man, Paul said. Lots of people have lots of ideas about death, don't they? They say, oh, death is just a natural part of life. It's a circle of life. And the Bible says, no, it's not. Death is an invader in this world and it came through a man. Death invaded God's perfect world as a result of Adam's sin. And because of our connection by birth to Adam and because of our sin, then death is also our destiny. In Adam all die. But Jesus has changed that. Yes, death came through a man, Adam. But the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we who have trusted in Him are connected to Him and so we will be raised to life. Christ took upon Himself our sin and so the benefits of His death and His resurrection are given to everyone who accepts Him. In Christ, all will be made alive. So if we have trusted in Jesus, 
If we belong to Jesus, then our sins are forgiven. We've been adopted into God's family. We've received eternal life. And one day we will share in His glory. That's why Paul called Jesus the first fruits. It's a farming term. First fruits are the, the first installment of the harvest. They are an example and a, and a guarantee of a much larger crop to come. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as an example, as a, as a guarantee of a much larger resurrection harvest. The rising again of everyone who trusted in Jesus. And that happens according to God's timing. Verse 23, Christ first, then when he comes, those who belong to him. One day, and none of us know when, Jesus will come back to take us to be with him forever. And we'll see a little bit more of the detail of that next week as we we finish this chapter. But Paul, he focused in here in verse 24 and said, Then the end will come. Then the end will come. This summarizes so much of what happens at the end. The Bible talks about things like a time of tribulation, a millennial reign of Christ, a final battle between Christ and the forces of evil, Christ's final victory and resurrection of the dead for judgment before his great white throne. But here, Paul just focuses on the reality of Christ's ultimate victory. Over every force of evil. Look at this wonderful verse, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's then that the final, the ultimate victory that Jesus won for us on the cross will be fully revealed in us. Then, death, our final enemy, will be defeated. And Christ will turn his kingdom over to his Father. And eternal life in the heaven, new heaven and new earth will come. This is the victory that Jesus won for us through his death and his resurrection. And this is the gift that he wants to give us. Romans 6 verse 23 but the the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so this morning I want to ask have you received that gift have you admitted your sinfulness before God And in repentance, have you turned from your sin and in faith turned to Jesus and accepted Him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? If you haven't yet accepted that gift of salvation, then you can do that today, right now. But if you have... And this wonderful truth is that you have a living Saviour. And you have a guaranteed salvation. 
The one who is going to be the ultimate, victorious sovereign over every, every force and every power and every authority. And this reality should change our lives. So Paul left us with an important challenge here. The reality of the resurrection should change us. Should transform us. It should change how, how we die. It should mean that we die well. It means that we don't need to fear death because Jesus has triumphed over it. Death still impacts us, but we do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. But the reality of the resurrection shouldn't just help us to die well. It should help us to live well. Verse 34, come back to your senses as you ought. And stop sinning. We should live differently every day because of the resurrection. Because if we are really citizens of heaven, and we are really heading for glory, then we shouldn't fit in with the culture all around us. We should not behave like those who are just living for today, for now. Instead, we are called to live differently. To live in the freedom and the joy of our salvation. Submit to God's will for our lives. Live according to His standards and His value system. Seek to honour Him in our everyday choices. And give ourselves fully to serving Him in His kingdom and for His glory. This is how Paul will conclude this chapter. One of my most favourite verses. I know I say that about a lot of verses, but this is really one of my favourite verses. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of, of the Lord. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Our labour in the Lord is not in vain. Because of the resurrection. Whatever we do for God today will have eternal significance. And you can't say that about anything else that we do in our life. You can't say that about anybody else and what they're doing. Yes, people make amazing choices and do amazing things and and create things and develop things and impact so many people's lives. But only what we do for God will last for eternity. And so Paul, at the end of this passage, challenged us to be very careful who we allow to speak into our lives. One of the main reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the church was a call to unity. We've seen that call right throughout this letter. He wanted this church to express the one heart and mind and purpose that Christ wants for his body. But we need to be careful who we're united with. Paul quoted a popular proverb of his day in verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. came from a Greek playwright, a guy called Menander, who lived about 300 years before Paul. 
And it reminds us how we're all influenced by those around us. We kind of call it peer pressure today. And so we need to be careful who we fellowship with. Because there are some who are ignorant of God. There are some who don't know God and who don't know what God will do. And if we hang out with them, if we fellowship with them, then we're going to be influenced by them. Bad company corrupts corrupts good character. And that's so dangerous because what we believe matters. What we believe about the resurrection impacts our relationship with God. It impacts how we live. It impacts how we die. It impacts where we will spend eternity. So yes, unity is important. But we can only be united in truth. United in Christ. So we need to reject the influence of all those who reject God's word. And instead be connected with all those who are connected to God's truth. So what we believe matters. I'm afraid for any Peanuts fans, Linus got it wrong. It isn't just about being sincere. It is about knowing the truth. A world without the resurrection is a deeply disturbing concept. But today, we stand on the wonderful certainty that we have a living Saviour and a guaranteed salvation and a victorious Sovereign. So let's heed this important challenge and live in the reality of this truth so that we can truly honour the One who died for us and rose again and is coming back one day to take us to be with him.